Hey, what's up, everybody? Greatest show on dirt coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios. I am your host, Quentin. Today is Sunday, March 10th, just 18 days until Major League Baseball begins. The world can go back to normal. I'll finally have something to do while I'm at work during the day, which is watch day game baseball and maybe have a couple beers on lunch break. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. I watch baseball how I want to watch baseball. And baseball and beer and hot dogs go together pretty good, right? They're morals. People have them. Mine might just be a little different than yours. So what if I have a, a beer to maybe a delicious stout on my lunch break to watch baseball while I work? You know what I mean? I think that that's a great thing. And baseball is America's pastime. And I think there's nothing more worthy of one's time and earnings than watching baseball at work so I love to do it get at me so (laughs) I don't I'm not gonna say that you should do that because if you get fired from your job I don't want you going around being mad at me if you're gonna watch baseball on your work computer you've got to be really good with the minimize and you have to know your shortcuts so for example when I'm at work and I'm watching day game baseball I can hit the command M and that will minimize my screen and my screen is ready to be minimized at the ready and I always I got my peripherals on always waiting for a boss to maybe come around and I don't play with that stuff you know I got the peripherals of like a convict who's been to jail man I'm like Bebe's kids bro I'm always on high alert and you know uh you know DTA don't trust anyone and so you have to be quick on the minimize. So if, if you're at work and you're going to watch baseball on your computer, we'll go with computer first of all. Number one, it's a good idea to open a couple windows because number one, you've got your window open up with work stuff on it, right? Now, this this the work window you open up, it just has to, it needs to be something that's work related and something that's unfinished because you just can't be staring on your computer at something that's unfinished. So ideally get something that's about halfway finished because then it looks like you're really knee deep into something like you're digging your heels in and you know, you're, you're heavy in to this type of work and then that way when an employee and a boss comes by maybe a higher up or maybe even a co-worker they'll say oh gosh Quentin's really working and then they'll be like oh man you're really into a lot of work with that report aren't you and then you being the consummate professional that you are my friend listening to this show would say oh my gosh you don't even believe it I've been on this report all day and it's it's so hard you know and also have a notebook at your desk as well and scribble some notes in it. Just write some words down, write some key phrases in it like overhead, key performance indicators, coaching, total value, just business words, finance, marketing, write words down that are key to your business and write those words down in a notepad because if you have a computer in front of you and a notepad, that makes it look like you're doing double the work. But also, You want it physically to look like you're doing the work. So drink a copious amount of coffee to the point to where maybe your eyes begin to turn bloodshot. And if you have to, give yourself a couple slaps in the face because if your face is a little red, then that will display stress. So give yourself 
a few a few slaps in the face and maybe go outside and smoke a cigarette whether you do or don't smoke and try to blow smoke in your eyes to get your eyes really red and bloodshot and then take your hand and run it through your hair and kind of ruffle your hair because if you're stressed people will sympathize and empathize with that so much more so really look like you've had better days you know what i mean and then you've got that taken care of you've got your work set up man and it looks like you're working because it's not how much you're really working it's how much you look like you're working that is the tip du jour which is what we're getting into right now which if you heard last week's podcast du jour is like of the day it's it's french it's french tip du jour tip of the day because here we advocate baseball more than we advocate baseball and the love of baseball more than any network, more than ESPN, more than MLB Network. We, we tell it how it is, and we're not afraid to say it. That, that's the simple truth. So, But now that you've got your work monitors brought up, my man, okay, then what you have to do is this is where you bring up an, a separate window for the baseball games that you want to watch. And this could be for anything like baseball games, replays of baseball games. You might be watching your highlights, or you're just reading an article on baseball. So have that window up. And if you've got a second monitor, so like let's say you have your main computer and a second monitor, try to get a second monitor if you can. And you could contact your IT department at your work and just tell them that you need the second monitor for a particular work task. Or maybe you could buy your own monitor off the eBay for like $100. They're not really that much. And then the key is you open up that second window and just make it a little smaller. And and then you could do one or two things with that. So you have that window brought up. And if a worker, a, a supervisor, or a boss comes up, you do the quick minimize. And you either, if you have a Macintosh computer, you hit Command and M, and that will minimize. If you have a Windows computer, you have to Google that shortcut for minimize because I don't know it. But you could also just have your mouse, your little pointer up by that minimize arrow. So if someone comes up, all you have to do is touch that mouse and it will minimize immediately, which is also really, really fast. But another trick you can do if you only have one computer monitor, you open up your window and that has your work stuff on it. Then open up the second window that has your baseball stuff on it, the baseball game you're watching and listening to. And then what can happen is you put that baseball window on top of your work window, like window, like if you're using Firefox or Google Chrome or Safari, right? Because what happens if you've got your baseball window and then you've got your work window in the background, if a boss is going to come up, if you have those windows overlap, you can click on your work window because those windows overlap. And then when you do that, all of a sudden, instantaneously, your work window will be in front of your baseball game window, and it will give the illusion instantaneously that you are breaking your back for the company you work for and not watching the Cubs play the Cardinals at 1.45 p.m. during your work day. And that's the quickest way to do it. You just put that one window on top of each other, but have them overlap a little bit so you can click on both of them, and it will instantaneously put the one up front that you want to watch. And those sorts of things, they will get you through the baseball season, and, and you won't won't miss a thing. And if you do what I said, you won't get fired. 
And as a matter of fact, you might actually get a promotion because with the dishevelment techniques that I've laid forth in front of you, you might actually get a raise because they'll sit back and say, oh boy, he's really working hard. Did you see Quentin over there? He's been busting his butt. I think we need to give him a day off because he really looks, he, he looks rough. And that's the thing. You might get a Friday off all of a sudden. You've just got a three-day work weekend because you were just watching baseball at work. Tell me that's not a blessing from the baseball gods. If it's not, I don't know what is, my friend. But let's get to the show right now. Greatest show on dirt. Hit it, DJ. Let's get into some real-life baseball talk. So, over the spring, uh, some of the talk around baseball has been with the Chicago Cubs. And there's a, there's a little bit of drama sitting there right now. You know, last year they lost their last two games of the season. They made a wild-card game. I personally don't consider that making the playoffs. If you can play a one-win wild-card game, I know technically that's the postseason, but I don't consider that making the postseason. So if my team, which is the Chicago Cubs, loses the wild card game, they didn't make the postseason, right? In my eyes, to make the postseason, you need to play in a divisional series. And that wild card game is you win and you get to play in the postseason. But a one card, like wild card, whatever, man. So, like, I look at it like this the Cubs didn't make the postseason last year. They won 95 games. They had a. Um, a pretty, pretty, they had a big collapse, man. One that they, that looked so bad, it's as if they had to try to do that bad. They're one of, they're a feast and famine team, man. They're either scoring 13 runs or scoring one run over two games. It's just really weird, right? But what I want to get into is like a lot of this offseason talk is with Joe Madden. So the Cubs and Theo Epstein have not extended Joe Madden's contract. So he's basically, they call it a lame duck year, I think. And it's when like, he, he this is his last year of his contract and after that he's pretty much done so it's kind of like what happened to Joe Girardi like after he finished his last season they had just decided not to bring him back and it kind of looks like that's what's happening with the Chicago Cubs because you know the Cubs had a great 2015 won the World Series in 2016 in 2017 they lost in the NLCS four games to one over the Dodgers beat him. And then what well, we saw what happened last year. And the teams always had struggles with offense. I think that's always been their biggest problem, man. It's just because there's not a lot of situational hitting in there. The most clutch guy on the team is Anthony Rizzo. Chris Bryant, man, is he's not clutch at all. The numbers say he's not clutch. So, And, I mean, that kind of goes with the whole team. And you could kind of sort of chalk the whole thing up to just those guys being really young. And I've always said with the Cubs that, you know, if, a lot of their players are so young. Like if you're 22, 23, 24 years old and you're the part of a team that breaks a 108-year-old curse and win a World Series, man, life's going to throw you some curveballs that you might not be prepared to handle. I get it, right? So the 2017 season and even the 2018 seasons, kind of excusable because you kind of just have to grow up. Like these things take a long time, especially with baseball. 
And the proof's in the pudding in baseball because guys don't get called up to the majors oftentimes until they're 24. I think Chris Bryant was 24 when he got called up, and Aaron Judge was 24, maybe even almost 25 when he got called up. So baseball is a game that it's not so much one that relies on athletic ability, but one that relies on an athlete's ability to repeat what they do over and over again. And it's very much a skill game. You cannot succeed at baseball purely on raw athletic ability, which tells you why guys like Cecil and Prince Fielder were able to hit like they were, uh, why CeCe Sabathia still can be able to pitch. And you look at Greg Maddox, man. His nickname was The Professor, but he looks like a guy that worked at Hewlett Packard that would program your computer. Like, he looks like nothing. He looks like no athlete. You could look at Jake Arrieta and say, well, that guy looks like a phenomenal athlete. But he's not 10% of the pitcher that Greg Maddox was on his best day, right? That's not going to happen. And so that's kind of what you get with baseball. Is it, it's, it's this skill set. And with baseball in my eyes, it's this thing that it's imperative that you have to die a few times to really live when it comes to baseball. Meaning, you know, you have to fail a bunch. You have to go through these trials and tribulations of baseball, whether it's you know, three levels of the minors or, you know, being on a team that's rebuilding and that takes years or just taking a long time to mature as a team. You know, those things do happen. You know, baseball's a sport where there aren't really a lot of repeat champions out there because it's such a process. And in Major League Baseball, you have to put together just this perfect season to do really well and I say perfect season, you really have to watch out for injuries. You need a lot of things have to go right to win a baseball game, let alone win your division, win a pennant, and win the whole thing. And with the talk around the Cubs is that Joe Madden's not having as much fun in that Cubs clubhouse. Not that maybe he he's not endorsing as much fun. You know, Joe Madden is pretty much known for like having a lot of like wild things happen in spring training, whether it's like bringing in mimes or farm animals or having these themed days where the Chicago Cubs will fly somewhere and it'll be a pajama day or a professional jersey day or they dress like characters off of like Anchorman, right? Those things sort of happen and the word around the clubhouse is that Joe Madden and the whole entire Cubs staff are more they're more focused and less having fun, and it's like that direction has come from above. You know, Theo and Jed and co. are directing it down to Joe Madden. Like, hey, could you guys sort of cut the shit on all the fun stuff and really just get serious? We want you guys to be more serious because we think that's going to reflect in, in wins, and that stuff's going to look a lot right. And that's sort of because maybe Joe Madden's on the hot seat because after the Cubs had their great 15 and 16 seasons, things haven't panned out the way that I think people thought they would. The Chicago Cubs team was supposed to be this dynasty, right? And things aren't happening. And automatically, Joe Madden, he gets put on the hot seat. And where I'm going at with this is, is I don't agree at all with Joe Madden being on the hot seat. I think Theo Epstein and or Jed Hoyer should be on the hot seat. Theo Epstein for sure should be on the hot seat way more than what Joe Madden should do. And that goes, and I, I, here's why I believe that. And 
here's going to be sort of the main topic of this whole thing is I think in Major League Baseball, I think coaches are dumped and fired far too frequently for my liking. So the Cubs, they got rid of their pitching coach after 2017. And this was the same pitching coach that, you know, got the very best out of Jake Arrieta. He was there when Kyle Hendricks was developing. Pedro Strope, who's still a really good Chicago Cubs reliever. And, you know, hitting coaches were gone. Pitching coaches were gone. Uh, they, they lost the bench coach. You know, so they're moving on their coaching staff and shuffling things to fix problems. They got rid of a hitting coach and picked up Chili Davis last year. And then this year they have another new hitting coach. There's a lot of turnover within the Chicago Cubs coaching staff, similar to the very high turnover that's in the Washington Nationals coaching staff. Coaches get hired, things go south, and then coaches get fired. But GMs are kept, okay? And I'm of a belief that if you want to be a professional major league team, teams are going through their coaches way too much for my liking. And my reason behind that is because baseball is such a process and I believe that it's very important to keep that coach in there in the grind while the players develop from kids to like normal human being adults and then really learn their game and get comfortable in that situation. I think it's to be looked at as a family and I think that family needs to stay together. I think they need to grow together. I think they need to fail together, learn together, to win together. Dusty Baker, in my opinion, should never ever have been out as the Washington Nationals manager. And I know Bryce Harper, one of the main reasons I believe he signed with the Philadelphia Phillies from the information that I've gathered is because of the trust and the consistency that he's been told will happen in that clubhouse. You know, when you're on a team that went through four coaches in five years and failed to ever make it past the divisional series, you know, what the the team's doing obviously isn't working. And I believe it's not working because you're breaking the band up. It's as if Queen had replaced their front singer, their their lead singer over and over again when Freddie Mercury, you know, got a little drug problem and full of himself. You know what I mean? No, they kept Freddie Mercury till the end because Freddie Mercury is Queen and families go through stuff. Families have good years and bad years, good days and bad days, and you've really got to grow. And in that growing is an ability to know each other and then to really know each other is to trust each other. And when you have new pitching coaches and hitting coaches coming in year after year and new managers coming in and implementing it their way, there's no stability and there's no repeatability in the the clubhouse. And with baseball, it's not pure athletic ability that makes you good at baseball, right? Russell Wilson is a phenomenal athlete. And so are Tim T. So is Tim Tebow. But those guys are football players, and you know they can come in and try to play baseball. And from a physical standpoint, you could look at both Russell Wilson and Tim Tebow and be like, "Wow, those guys are built. They're freaking phenomenal athletes. I would love to get him on a baseball field." But it's that skill set that you have to have, and it's that skill set that needs to be repeatable to succeed in Major League Baseball. And with that repeatability, I think 
trust comes a long way with that because you have to trust the people that are around you and really know them well. And that's where the comfort comes in because I do believe the real driver behind being able to repeat something is comfort and trust because that will allow the athlete maybe to do it unconsciously and not be so conscious of, oh my gosh, I need to throw strikes. Last season when Noah Syndergaard was hitting some hiccups because last year control-wise he wasn't in, in the box scores that I saw, he wasn't striking out as many guys, and he was walking more guys. And Noah Syndergaard did say verbatim, he said, I was thinking about throwing strikes, and that was a bad way. And when there's this constant turnover in the clubhouse, there's constant thinking in the clubhouse because there's constant change in the clubhouse. And cruise control's off at this point, and things just aren't going right. And it was this Cubs talk that... It was the happenings in the Chicago Cubs clubhouse that led me to sort of have this conversation on the podcast because Joe Madden has found himself on the hot seat, and I don't believe that I, – I think that's wrong. I think Theo Epstein should be on the hot seat. You know, he is the president of baseball operations, and you're having all this turnover with pitching coaches and hitting coaches and things like that, not to mention the bad signings that you know Theo Epstein has orchestrated that has caused the team to be in this situation to where they could barely do anything this offseason because Theo Epstein made an awful decision with Tyler Chatwood when Miles Michaelis was available at a lower cost. He signed Brandon Morrow when there were probably other guys out there to be had. He signed Hugh Darvish, who is, I don't know, man, a, a double-edged sword when... There were this offseason, and it really, okay, hold on. I'm going to have to pause on you, Darvish. Let's talk about you, Darvish, in a second. But the Jose Quintana trade, he gave up Jose Quintana, or excuse me, Theo Epstein acquired Jose Quintana for two top 100 prospects, maybe even two top 50 prospects, and Aloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease. The Cubs could really use those guys right now, but they traded for Jose Quintana at a time when, one, they didn't need Jose Quintana, but Theo thought they needed it because Theo made bad decisions, and so I guess they needed Jose Quintana. And then that was just another bad decision to give up those two guys for Jose Quintana. Then when you acquired Jose Quintana, he wasn't having a good season in Chicago on the south side. He was off. He was he was really fidgety when runners got on base. His mound presence was awful. He couldn't pitch well with guys on base, and he would fall apart. So, And then Quintana's not that guy you can throw out there number one. So essentially, if you look at what the Cubs have now, if John Lester's your number one, Kyle Hendricks is your number two, at the time they got Quintana, Jake Arrieta was your number three, and Jose Quintana was obviously your number four. So what the Chicago Cubs did is they got a number four starter for two top 50 prospects. And Aylor Jimenez and Dylan Cease. Like, you got to be shitting me. Aylor Jimenez is like the number three prospect in all of baseball right now. And like, you gave up him and Dylan Cease, like a top 25 maybe prospect for like Jose Quintana, when in all reality, you could have just signed Jake Arrieta for four years and $100 million and not given up your prospects because you can't buy prospects, but the Chicago Cubs have a ton of money. So you could go ahead and just buy it and not give up prospects, right? So Theo Epstein's made a lot of dumb decisions, but. It's almost, it sounds like these GMs are just letting this coaching carousel happen in order to keep their jobs and 
you know, make more money or move on to the next because I, a coaching turnover is entirely too high. I never thought Joe Girardi should have left the New York Yankees because when they had their season and went to the NLC, the ALCS and lost to the Astros, I thought to myself, you bring this core group back next year and they've learned so much and been through so much and created all these really great friendships and relationships and been through emotional stuff together of a big loss. You bring this exact same, te- exact same team back, Joe Girardi and all, and they can win a World Series. And then they got rid of Joe Girardi and got a guy with no experience. Now, Yankees fans probably love Aaron Boone, and Aaron Boone's a great baseball guy, but you could give me the greatest baseball guy ever, and it doesn't replace the relationships and the rapport and the trust that have all been built in the clubhouse with the coaches that you've always had because it is baseball, this skill sport, this sport that needs to be repeated, the sport that you cannot win at and dominate at out of just pure will, right? One of my favorite sports moments ever was when Tim Tebow was uh, playing for the Gators and he got up in a press conference like bloody in the face and I don't know that anyone ever asked him a question but he was like I will play harder this will never happen again I will give my all on the football field and I won't stop until the job is done I those weren't his exact words but he pretty much got on a podium and was like I'm gonna will this shit and I'm gonna win no matter what and you can will it in football and you can will it in basketball but baseball, man, is a finesse skill set sport that I believe the foundation of is that trust and is that that family that you build in the clubhouse. So uh, coaches are turned over way entirely too much. And I do believe that that's one of the reasons Bryce Harper has found himself with Philly because he was really interested in that family aspect, not only because family means a lot to Bryce Harper personally, but when it comes in the dugout, he's seen a lot of that turnover. And when John Middleton, the Phillies owner, promises to Bryce to always be a top five payroll team and really shows him the stability that's in this clubhouse, it is those sorts of things that are huge and they're 100% true. And so, yeah, Joe Madden should be on the hot seat and coaches are far too often replaced. Paul Molitor was AL Manager of the Year in 2017, AL Manager of the Year in 2017, the Twins went to a wild card game. He was amazing. And then 2018 happens, and then all of a sudden he's fired. And so my thought is, well, you have a team of young guys. Let's face it, you are the Minnesota Twins, so you're not the New York Yankees. You're not going to be good for 10 years in a row before you have a bad season. It's not going to happen, and you do have young guys in the clubhouse, and you had a few injuries that happened during the season, but then now you fire Paul Molitor because he's he's no good, but wasn't he the best the year before? How can you be the best and then be the worst? Like I don't get it. It's so weird to me, man. You got to keep these guys around longer. Greatest show on dirt. Thanks for listening. Let's get to what we got next. All right, listen, man, free agency is pretty weird (laughs) these days in baseball because there is the conundrum between like signing a player that like our gut tells us we're good as we sit at home in our recliner being the best armchair GMs in the whole entire universe. But then there's like these the battle between like that, like our gut. (laughs) That's such a weird word, gut with. 
data, right? So, for example, like Dallas Keuchel's a free agent. I bet there are a lot of Houston Astros fans out there that are like, dude, Keuchel's phenomenal. We remember his 2015. He helped us win a World Series in 2017. Like, Dallas Keuchel's, dude, the legit deal. And why he's still a free agent, we have no idea. Likewise with Craig Kimbrell. You know, Red Sox fans everywhere. Just like, what the hell's going on? We love the guy. But when you look at the data behind those guys, you look at, like, Dallas Keuchel, right? Look at his wins above replacement, his ERA plus from, like, last year. And he's basically, like, 2017 Tyler Chatwood or, um, like, CeCe Sabathia, right? So, to so like, Dallas Keuchel's not signed because of the discrepancy between what our guts tell us Mine might be filled with pizza and biscuits and gravy, but it's just as astute as yours is, my friend. And then, like, what the data says, like, his war, his ERA plus, and things like that. And so that led me to believe, like, dude, well, this is a really weird situation because there's a lot of people out there that believe in Dallas Keuchel's value probably beyond what his baseball reference page might say or the back of his baseball card. If you do that thing like I do, I love to buy baseball cards. But what I was thinking about is baseball teams – I would love to see more value ads. Now, when I say value ads, I'm not speaking in the sense of the box score, right? Like a Manny Machado or a Bryce Harper ad. Those are obviously valuable ads when it comes to the box score. But you have these outlying players that might not seem like might not add a lot to like the box score. Like I'm not going to sign a guy like David Ross, right? When he was a Chicago Cub. Dude, people would gripe about him, like myself included at the time, because he was basically like had a pitcher's bat. And it's like, dude, like pinch it for David Ross, please, every time you could get. But David Ross was very key to that 2016 Chicago Cubs team. And kind of like Adam Wainwright is sort of in that situation right now with the St. Louis Cardinals. There are a lot of Cardinals fans that aren't happy with the guy because his earned run average looks like a very good credit score <laughs> but like he means something to that clubhouse and he means something to those young pitchers that come in because when you have a guy like Adam Wainwright who's 95 years old he has a lot to add and he knows a lot of information you know so like if there's anyone in the clubhouse that has gout I guess he could probably tell you how to d- deal with that shit but also like he's been through the trials and tribulations of being a pitcher sort of like with CC Sabathia too right um, see, Zabathia probably wasn't a starter that a lot of guys wanted to get this season, but he means something to that New York Yankees clubhouse that's on the cusp of winning a World Series if they could just get past the stinking Red Sox. So that's I would like to see more of that, man. And I actually looked, and there are some guys out there that I think would be worth signing right now that would be great value adds numerically speaking in relation to the box score not so much but value adds that could influence younger guys in the clubhouse and their box scores could be improved because of things that these players have been through and number one not necessarily in any particular order but Adam Jones is a free agent right now he was in Baltimore all of his career he's a very athletic center fielder He's African-American, which I like that aspect of it when you talk about relationships that a guy might like that a guy like that might build in the clubhouse because he's been through different things than like a white athlete would. 
And when you have a lot of minorities in a clubhouse that are from different countries that have probably dealt with certain things when coming in the United States, Adam Jones could be an influence on that. So when I talk about value adds, it's not just, you know, coaching and mentoring players in the clubhouse regarding baseball things, but that could even be coaching and mentoring players outside of baseball things like being a young minority in a new country, dealing with things that might be said to you, struggling and not being able to get a lot of that stuff off of your mind and it affecting you on the baseball field. And a, a, a center fielder like Adam Jones could be had for probably not very much money, but because many things, because data is driving the car, there's not a lot of use for that because the way baseball teams are run now, like a guy like Theo Epstein, well, he went to college at like Yale, man. And GMs, particularly very wealthy GMs, have been through different life experiences than what like maybe like a working class athlete has, depending on what their background is. And when I mention some, when I mention any of these guys that'll be good value adds, you know, they have different a different background to offer than like what a coach or a GM would. And today's GM might not understand fully the type of impact that Adam Jones could have because maybe his defense has fallen off and he had a negative war last year. Well, you know, I know David Ross probably was just a Chicago Cub only by accident because it was John Lester's personal catcher. And Theo was buddies with John Lester and David Ross in Boston. So he's just sort of like, I know, I know David, man, so let's bring him in. I know Johnny likes him, whatever. But I think teams would be teams would be making a huge mistake if they didn't do their due diligence on a guy like Adam Jones because things could be things could be influenced in a clubhouse in a positive way. And another I read an article on Yahoo and this kind of you know gave me the thought behind like this term value add and sort of how I've coined it in this being like an influence in the clubhouse beyond athletic performance. And it was John Jay, who who was a Chicago Cub in 2017, who is now a Chicago White Sox. And the White Sox and the Cubs played out in Arizona in a spring training game. And there were a few comments that the Chicago Cubs players made regarding John Jay's influence that kind of brought me to this creating my own value add definition, again, of this value being not in the box score, but influencing in the clubhouse based on one's past experiences in baseball and life in general and just being able to do more than any data spreadsheet would say and here's a quote from Kyle Schwarber in regards to John Jay he said I think he made me a better baseball player especially going through 2017 where I was having the worst year of my career being able to just take me out to dinner sit down talk to me he was the person who was there to just vent to and ask questions. He definitely helped me out in the outfield. He was one of those people who you're never going to forget what they brought you to when you're in the game. And those, that's a huge statement. You know, when Kyle talks about John just taking him out to dinner, there is a difference between having a player in that clubhouse that you can look to as a friend and just having a, a great manager, right? Like Joe Madden's a great manager, right? A, a, it's great to have a kick-ass manager. You know, it, it's imperative to success, really. You can't, you have to have someone that can run the team well or else dumb mistakes will be had and yeah, it could cost you games. But in the clubhouse, like with players, it's always a little different you know, the really good influencers in the clubhouse 
as compared to a major league manager, like those fellow players, they're more of your friends, your comrades, the soldiers you go to war with, the people that you can confide in in a different way than your manager because you and that teammate, you're on more of a of the of the same level. You're you're going through the same experience right now. So you and an influential player in the clubhouse like Adam Jones would understand that struggle more because you're going through it at the same time. You're closer in age at this moment. And I, I and you know, even at your work, as you listen to this podcast right now, you know it's it's a it's very much different confiding in a coworker than it is your manager. And you will tell your coworker things that you would never ever tell your manager. And there's nothing that would lead me to believe that that would be different in a major league baseball clubhouse. Cause essentially like that's their job and there are things that irk them on a daily basis and things will get told to a player that will never get told to a manager. And so that's why I think these value ads would be huge to add into a clubhouse. And I've, I've, spoken about Adam Jones and I think he would be phenomenal and like a couple other guys that I had looked at that are still free agents is Matt Holiday is 38 and he's still a free agent right now Matt Holiday was a huge impact in Colorado because he came up he was a Colorado Rocky spent some time in St. Louis spent a season for the Yankees then went back to Colorado and last year in Colorado getting the Rockies to the playoffs I believe that was a huge influence on the Rockies not because Matt Holiday is Bryce Harper because he's not but you can sign the biggest contract in the world but the 38 years of experience behind Matt Holiday and coming back to where he started his career I, I can't even begin to explain to you the intangible effects that had to be taking place and emanating through the clubhouse when Matt walks through those doors and really lighting a fire into that clubhouse, and I really dig it. And likewise with the 2017 New York Yankees, who were the surprising Yankees with Judge you know, coming up into the ranks and stuff like this, and then you had like Aaron Hicks, who they had got from the Twins that was really coming up, and then now Matt Holiday's a part of that team as well, and even Starlin Castro at such a young age had been through stuff, and when you look at Matt Holiday in that clubhouse, as well as Todd Frazier at the time, I'm just thinking of all of these guys, focus, Quentin, Matt Holiday had a phenomenal impact in that Yankees clubhouse because that Yankees team in 2017 was filled with all these young guys. And you have a guy like Matt Holiday who's been to the World Series with the Rockies. I don't know if he went to the World Series with the Cardinals. I think he did. And, uh, you know, Matt Holiday's played two really good systems. You know, when you have an ex-St. Louis Cardinal, I'm a Cubs fan, and it pains me to say this, but the St. Louis Cardinals run a really good organization. And anyone that's played and had success in that organization that comes to your team, you can better believe that some good things are going to happen away from the diamond that's going to really hit home with the players that are in that clubhouse, especially being such a young age. And with Matt Holiday being able to be signed by any team now, probably for a league minimum of $544,000, a lot of guys, a lot of GMs probably don't want to take that risk because they don't want to waste the roster spot on it. But I'd beg to differ. Maybe you could, um, you know, fit him onto your roster and you could, you know, focus on matchups a little less. What is it when they, you have to have a lefty, face a lefty, and then a righty face a righty. Um, that's kind of what Major League Baseball coaches want to do. Hold on, I'm trying to think of the word, and I can't. Platoon! Holy crap! No shit! I've, I stumbled for the last 30 seconds trying to remember the word platoon. Platoon! 
maybe teams, instead of worrying about the roster spot, could probably platoon a little less, have more of a steady everyday roster, and bring a guy in like Matt Holiday to take up the roster spot and do some good things that, oh my God, if you can't measure him, don't be so hard on yourself because I guarantee they're there. And you can't underestimate what a guy like Matt Holiday could bring to a team. You know, a lot of people have said that about Joe Madden or, and even Dave Roberts with the Los Angeles Dodgers that you have these coaches that platoon too much. And if you never let Albert Almora face a right handed pitcher, then in his heart, he's going to believe that he can't hit righties. Kyle Schwarber is going to believe that he can't hit lefties, and they're never going to get good at hitting lefties and righties because you'll never give them the chance to do so. So you're creating these lifelong platoon players, and I don't believe in that as much. And I know data says, don't put Kyle Schwarber up against Josh Hader, or don't put Anthony Rizzo up against Josh Hader. Rizzo took Josh Hader deep last year, but the data would tell you not to do so with Josh Hader's sweeping delivery and the both of them being left-handed guys. And the name of the game and data is platoon, man. You could look at a Dodgers and a Cubs lineup and hell, they're never the same because they feel like they've got to platoon. But when you platoon your athletes, they're going to believe that they can't hit left-handed batters or your right-handed guys that aren't good at hitting righties. They'll believe that they just can't hit right-handed batters. You're not building up good players. You're doing those players a disservice by not giving them the chance to excel. End of story. Of course they're not going to be good at hitting lefties. You never let them hit lefties. Good gosh. So maybe you take – you you don't want to waste the roster spot because you're addicted to platooning. Like I'm addicted to deep dish pizza and strawberry Pop-Tarts in the microwave, sometimes cold when I'm feeling a little frisky. Maybe you don't platoon as much. Get off the teat of platooning and sign a value ad like Matt Holiday. And use your roster spot for it in a way that I think is better than using too much data and overthinking things. Overthinking in baseball is the worst thing you can do. You can overthink in football and basketball because you can athletically, from an athletic performance standard, you can physically will your way to do that. But baseball, man, baseball is like ice skating. Baseball is like ice skating on a really thin lake. And you have to finesse it so you don't fall in and drown. Stop overthinking this thing. Take a guy like Evan Gaddis. Evan Gaddis was a catcher. He, oh my God. Evan Gaddis is a catcher, man. He was on the World Series team for the 2017 Astros. So if you don't really know who Evan Gaddis is, Evan Gaddis is a guy that came up with the Braves, was traded to the Astros, was on the World Series winning Astro teams in 2017. The guy's got a phenomenal beard. He stands about 6'4 and 235 pounds. He looks like he just chopped down trees. As a matter of fact, he looks like he could just push over a tree with his bare hands and probably not skip a beat, dude. He doesn't bat with batting gloves and he chokes up just a little bit like this is my guy dude he looks through and through like a baseball player you know Evan Gaddis was away from baseball for four years he was offered a full ride scholarship to somewhere to play first base like Rutgers or something like that to play first base but he was thought of as one of the best catchers in all of the country so he skipped out on that to go to college, I think at Texas A&M. Hold on. Let me get this right real quick because you guys are going to kill me. Oops. Hold that thought. Here's what happened. Uh, Brian Mc... Oh, shoot. 
Evan Gaddis was drafted by Rice University to play first base, but he wanted to play catcher. So he took on with the Aggies, Texas A&M, but he never made it. So after high school, he checked straight into rehab and then told his dad he didn't want to play baseball anymore. And then for the next, you know, you know, probably two or three years before he got back into baseball, because he was totally out of the majors for four years. Actually, maybe out of baseball for four years, whatever. And he basically just struggled with substance abuse, anxiety, found himself in rehab. He got a job as a janitor. He was broke in New York City and begging for food on the streets. He was a parking valet dude, a ski lift dude. He lived in Colorado, lived in New York, went cross country to California to find like a spiritual advisor. Essentially, Evan Gaddis is the Ricky Williams of Major League Baseball. If you ever watch that Ricky Williams 30 for 30, it's one of my all-time favorites along with Bo Jackson's 30 for 30 and Brian Bosworth's 30 for 30. I love them both. And Evan Gaddis was gone away from baseball for four years and a big part of that reason was he was crippled by the fear and anxiety that he would fail and could not deal with it because he was he was a heralded top catching prospect, top baseball prospect in the whole nation and thought that he would just be looked at as this big dude because he's 6'4", 230, but he would just be a failure. So I was like, yeah, he's got talent, but he's going to be a failure. He was like Michael Jackson or Michael J. Fox, Marty McFly on Back to the Future, who just says, what if I fail and they think I'm no good? So he essentially had to find himself for four years, came, found himself, whatever he had to do. He just wasn't ready, man. He really had to get over his anxiety and his fear of failure, depression, all of these things. Comes back to baseball after four years, finds some success with the Atlanta Braves, gets traded to the Houston Astros, finds success with the Astros, and is a key part of helping them win a World Series. Tell me a guy like Evan Gaddis in a sport that can that you can be on cloud nine one second and then a slump could put you in the dumps and leave you as a free agent until March. I don't know if there's a more unforgiving sport than baseball because it gives and when it gives, man, it is great. But when it takes, oh, it takes it all. And that slump, ask a guy like Rick Ankeel, man. On top of the world is a rookie pitching in the ALDS, and then it's just seemingly gone, and it leaves you. And I think in baseball, that's the only sport where it, it, it can be taken away, and it just goes, seemingly unexplainably leaves you. And that's sort of what happened with Evan Gaddis, but it wasn't in the sense of the yips, like you know Rick Ankeel, but it was in this sense of this overwhelming anxiety to where he couldn't perform anymore. And for him to overcome that after four years and find his stride and be an, a, a successful Major League Baseball player, catcher, and DH, tell me he wouldn't be good in a clubhouse when you deal with a lot of young guys with what Kyle Schwarber had just said in the article I read about Albert Almora, about he was a really good help when he hit the worst slump of his entire life. Do you think a guy like Evan Gaddis could help someone in your clubhouse going through some real serious shit on the baseball field and off the baseball field when you are so young playing in a sport that pays you so well, like a lot of those young Chicago Cubs players who win a World Series at the age of 23, being thrust into the spotlight when you've only been allowed to drink alcohol for a year or two, that's a hard thing to deal with on a personal level. 
And when you look at a guy like Evan Gaddis and you have to say to yourself, he would be great in my clubhouse. He would be phenomenal because in this game right now is predicated so much on young guys, always predicated so much the success of it on young guys coming up and succeeding. And you know these young 20-something guys. You got Ronald Acuna was 20 last year. Juan Soto was 19. If Vlad Guerrero Jr. comes up this year, he'll be 20. I don't care who your dad is or who anyone is, but having a guy like Evan Gaddis in the clubhouse, when your success is so much, is infinitely predicated on the success of these young guys, Evan Gaddis lived that stuff of being a young heralded prospect who fell and got back up. So I love a value add. And if your team, you know, any team right there right now would be lucky to have Adam Jones, Evan Gaddis, or Matt Holliday. And I dig it. I would love to see more value adds in Major League Baseball. I think it would be good. Use that roster spot, platoon a little less, and get you a guy that means something to your players. All right, last segment of the day, last portion of the show, my friends. One of my favorite two weeks in running. Keeping up with Jose. All right, this is what we do every week. We dive into Jose Canseco's Twitter, and we try our best to figure out, like, the secrets of the universe because he has them all. You know, Jose Canseco is the the performance-enhanced Nikola Tesla. He's Albert Einstein. He's Charles Manson, maybe. We don't really know. He's like the weird Waco cult leader, you know? It's some crazy stuff. So let's get into it, man. Let's see what this crazy guy's got going on with us this week, Okay. We got two things to read off of his Twitter this week. First tweet, no punctuation whatsoever, dude. This is all like one straight shot. Hurry up, Bigfoot excursion, almost full, the experience of a lifetime. Call Morgan at 702-374-3755. Whoa, a Bigfoot excursion. He's essentially promising me that I can call Morgan with a phone number, I might add, and get the uh, Bigfoot. He knows what Bigfoot is. Like, listen... Bigfoot, dude, you're either a believer or you're wrong, man. It's widely known as a myth. A lot of people are unsure about this, man. Listen to this, dude. On March 7th, this dude in Medical Lake, Washington, tracked and found 24-inch footprints. A footprint that's two foot long. Like, as big as, like, your foot to your knee, depending on how tall you are. That's a big foot, man. Literally, that's why they call him Bigfoot, you understand? With a three-foot stride. Listen, there no, they can't be human tracks. Humans don't have three-foot strides. That's not what it is, man. No three-foot strides, dude. Right? In Washington, man. I'm telling you, dude, this is some pretty big stuff, dude. So, obviously, we know last week, Jose Canseco's talked about aliens, and now he's talking about Bigfoot. Bigfoot could be the alien. Like, we don't really know at this point, dude. Like, part of me wonders... You know, what? what's Jose Canseco telling us right now through his tweets? Because here's the thing. Jose can't tell us too much because they will track him down and kill him. Remember the guy that got killed in MK Ultra because they were testing LSD? He was about to whistleblow, and he fell out of a hotel room window. I don't, people just don't fall out of hotel room windows, right? Someone threw him out, you understand? The government could be coming for Jose. So, we don't have the full truth here, but we've got a portion of it. We've got time travel, aliens, and Bigfoot. So how can we unpack this right now? Number one, I think we're looking at a government cover-up. This could be some sort of government weapon to possibly control the population. They might be morphing human beings into Bigfoot creatures, you know, kind of like what happened with Wolverine and X-Men. 
you know, they could, this could be like an evolution thing because we know that like Elon Musk wants to send people to Mars. I'm not 100% unsure that Jose Canseco's not like a robot programmed by Elon Musk possibly. And we're researching Bigfoot because maybe all human beings are going to be turned into Bigfoot. So, you know, so we can like live in cold conditions maybe. Oh, I got it. The earth is global warming, dude. The earth is going to have another ice age. Here's what I think Jose is saying. The earth is going to have another ice age. Humans are being cloned into Bigfoots because we will have a warm coat, a warm coat, so we can survive in the ice age. We would be able to hibernate, which is a very efficient way to live, and we would be able to eat raw meat because right now as humans, we can't really eat raw meat. Like if I do, I get diarrhea, right? It's got to be fully cooked. And like you can't live and have diarrhea at the same time because you will die and get dehydrated, right? Right, so so that that could be one. That could be one thing we're looking at, dude. Because definitely, if we're talking Bigfoot, the government's going to be involved. So just to call Morgan and go on a Bigfoot excursion, it's not only like the experience of a lifetime, but it's like it's a big threat of a lifetime. You know, you could be risking your life on this, like no doubt about it. Like Bigfoot, though, Bigfoot. When we we look back at Jose's last week's tweets that we went over. Bigfoot could be the alien race that we're talking about because, listen, Jose Canseco talks that he's – Jose Canseco says he's speaking to aliens and they can teach us time travel. So there's an alien somewhere that's talking to Jose saying, here's how you time travel. Maybe Bigfoot because he's going to take us on a Bigfoot excursion to see Bigfoot. Maybe Bigfoot's the alien that he knows. You know, we think of aliens – being like little green men, but maybe they're just like these big, you know, furry creatures that smell like poop and eat beef jerky. You know, this this could be it. This could be it. Because also attached to this tweet is a is a text message from Morgan that tells us it's $20 cash for a group of 10. We know where the aliens are. That's from Morgan. Morgan says she knows where the aliens are, but it's going to cost us $20,000 for a group of 10 people. I don't know. We might start the Patreon account now, but we need to raise $20,000 for me and nine other people to go. I think this is very important. Absolutely. You know, um, there's a lot to say here, man. Would I go on this chance of a lifetime excursion to see Bigfoot or maybe like an alien and drop $20,000? You know, I could on air right now just withdraw my 401k and just pay all of this up. And I, th I think it could be done. I think it would be worth it, you know. But what I'm interested in is Morgan says she knows where the aliens are. Where are the aliens? Like, we have Google Maps. I don't know if aliens could hide. Like, where are they? Like, is there a local alien bar, like, in Temecula that, like, the aliens just hang out and watch, like, the Red Sox on TV and, like, they drink, like, little green men juice or something like that? Like, oh, do they live in the sewer? With the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Or do they live in cornfields doing crop circles? That could be it, man. You know, and Jose, how did Jose become friends with these aliens? Do the aliens need steroids? That's a possibility, man. Maybe the aliens liked Jose Canseco's dark skin. This is so many things. How he met, I've never met an alien. Jose's wild enough to met aliens, right? He is, but what's crazy about this is this trip... I don't know how much the Bigfoot trip is, but the alien trip to see aliens is $20,000 for 10 people. So we could assume to go see Bigfoot's probably about $20,000. Like my number one question is this. People are paying Jose Canseco $10,000. 
$10,000. Here, Jose Canseco, here's $10,000, show me Bigfoot. Do you realize that this is the same guy that got caught by border control in Mexico trying to smuggle in female fertility drugs? Dude, what is going on with your steroids and hormones to where you need a female fertility drug? Are the aliens trying to put a baby in your body? And the alien said, you go get fertility drug. And he goes, I can only go in Mexico. Can you take me in your UFO? And then the alien's like, I cannot drive UFO past border. People will see me. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, it's a little bit of a sketchy friendship. If you can't give me a ride in your UFO to go get female fertility drugs so I can carry an alien baby like Sigourney Weaver and give birth to it out of my butt? If you can't give me a UFO ride, how can I trust you? Therefore, how can I trust Jose to go see Bigfoots and aliens, right? This is crazy. This is crazy. So, I mean, this is this is what he's got going on this week. And keeping up with Jose, man, it's just, oh, these aliens, man, and these Bigfoots, dude. Um... We're gonna have to probably, we're gonna have to probably call Morgan on this one. I think at some point and see if we can't get in for this or see where the Bigfoots are. I just don't know how Jose knows where where Bigfoot is. It's so wild. But we'll see where it's at, man. Keeping up with Jose this week, Bigfoot and aliens, man. So we'll, um, gosh, I guess we'll wrap up the show. I don't, um, I don't know if I believe in Bigfoot or not, man. I can tell you this though. I don't think we know everything the government's doing is, listen, I read this in a C.S. Lewis book, man. We would be so naive as human beings to think that we're the most advanced creatures on the planet. That's kind of cocky to be like, I'm the most advanced creature on the planet. Me, personally. Like, I sat on the toilet for 45 minutes last night, you know, reading, reading tweets on Twitter so much that both of my legs fell asleep. And then I fell off the toilet when I tried to get up. Like, I don't think that's the most advanced creature in the whole entire world. Do you understand what I'm saying? So is there a Bigfoot out there who might be a little more advanced than me or an aliens that know how to time travel? I know this when you cross back through like the event horizon, if you can bust through like a black hole, time and space reverses somewhere. I don't really know, man. It's pretty wild, pretty wild stuff. So, uh-huh. I'm just saying, okay, let's close this bad boy out with huge news on the television front. The Sandlot is coming to television as a television series. The Sandlot TV show, it's back. I am super excited. I Nobody really knows when it's going to start right now, so there's not news of that. But what we know for the Sandlot television show is... The guy that created the Sandlot movie, his name's David Mickey Evans. I think that's his name. And he sold his TV show idea to some network, right? And they've signed on for two seasons. So he's sold two seasons of scripts in this show to somebody. And what it's going to be is all of the kids in the Sandlot, they're now adults. They're 33 years old and they've got kids. It's kind of like that boy meets world, but it's like the new version of it where like, the, the um, like Ben Savage has like his own kid like that's what this is like with the Sandlot and what's even cool about this Sandlot television show so the Sandlot movie took place in California and I believe it was 1965 if I'm right off the top of my head this Sandlot new television series it's going to take place in 1984 which is awesome it's not going to be a current day show it's going to be taking place in the 80s, which is going to be phenomenal because the 80s nostalgia is going to be off the hook. You know, um, 
don't know what you're talking about, like video games, arcade games, baseball in the 80s, playing baseball in the 80s with your friends. Like, it's going to be great, man. I dig that 80s nostalgia, sort of like the Stranger Things. Like, I cannot wait till season three of Stranger Things comes out. I think it's going to be like this summer, maybe June, July, July or August. I swear I heard July on Stranger Things. But like that 80s nostalgia in there is so off the hook. And I dig like nostalgic shows like that. I think everybody does, really. And, you know, to have the Sandlot take place in 1984, you know, it's going to be awesome. The whole cast, actually, I don't know if the whole cast is set to return. The article I read, the cast members that are going to be on the show haven't been announced yet. But I know last year when they did the 25th anniversary of the show, everyone was there, but Benny the Jet wasn't there. And that was a little weird. I think even like Wendy was like in some interviews, but Benny the Jet wasn't there. And I know that he quit show business. He he lives out West. He's like a firefighter and hasn't been like in any show business since. So I hope Benny the Jet will be on the show. We don't really know yet. So we got to sit tight and find out. But otherwise, let's close this bad boy up. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you. Man, we're going to try. We've been recording once a week. We're going to try so hard this week to record a midweek episode, if we can get to it. Um, Bryce Harper just had his first at-bat as a Philadelphia Philly. He walked, and I think he walked in a second at-bat. Uh, after he walked in his first at-bat, Reese Hoskins hit a two-run home run. So, welcome to Philly, Bryce. That's what Bryce Harper is really going to do to this lineup. He may walk a lot. He's going to keep his on-base high. And that Reese Hoskins home run would have been a solo home run, but because he's got Bryce in front of him, Bryce threw the walk then that next pitcher has to pitch Reese pretty competitively because he can't walk too. And first pitch fastball, Reese socked it, man. So if that's a something to come for Philly baseball, it's going to look good, dude. Take care. Thanks for listening to the show. I'm trying to think if I got any shout-outs this week here. Let me double check. Yes, I do have a shout-out. This week, Twitter follower Aaron Mendonca. So my apologies, man, if I mispronounce your last name. Aaron, he's on our Instagram. We He lives in Hawaii, man, sunny Hawaii. So um, actually, I just want to let you know, Aaron, I could, I'm a really good friend, and I've never been to Hawaii before. And we could always talk baseball um, in Hawaii. Um, I don't mind to sleep on a couch, and I don't mind to be in Hawaii. Um, Aaron uh, shared us on his Instagram story today. We uh, He was one of our book winners when we gave away a great and glorious game by Bart Giamatti with a sticker pack. So he got his book in the mail all the way from North Carolina to Hawaii. Thank you, Aaron, so much for listening, man. Enjoy the book. Thanks for uh, listening to the podcast. Thanks for sharing us on your Instagram story, man. We really, really appreciate it, man. So thanks for listening. Enjoy the book, man. It is a phenomenal read. Stick those stickers everywhere. Um, And yeah, we'll let you guys know when we do our next giveaway or whatever. We just wanted to give that shout out to Aaron, man. And we will... um, Gosh, I guess we'll see you guys hopefully midweek, man. So take care. Enjoy some baseball. Don't work too hard. Have a phenomenal rest of the weekend. See ya.